Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. This evening over the word of the Lord, we're going to be kind of making a journey through the book of uh, the first chapter of the book of James, just a few verses here. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to pray and let's ask the Lord to touch us together. Can we, Lord, I love you. I thank you for the privilege to be in your presence, the incredible opportunity, God, that you have given me one more time to just stand behind this sacred desk and to speak to these wonderful people. And I'm asking you tonight, Lord, let the presence of the Holy Ghost just quicken our heart and mind and prepare our spirit to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you and you can be seated. I so appreciate the presence of the Lord, just such a sweet presence of God, and we really should not take that for granted. Just one week ago tonight, guest speakers stood behind this desk reminding us that you don't feel this everywhere, amen, and we didn't pay him to say that, we didn't admonish him to say that, but I am thankful for the affirmation of the Holy Ghost, amen. This past Sunday morning, generally prior to service, um, we have prayer in, our, in my office before service, just asking the Lord to touch our services and everybody that's participating and for our students and teachers and things of that nature. Prior to, um, prior to our prayer, we were just talking, those of us that were in there, we were talking about the spirit of deception and how uh, how must how must how we must guard ourselves against that, and uh, it's just was a short conversation, not really a lengthy conversation, but it was just something that I couldn't get out of my spirit over the last several days, and I I want to talk about that tonight. I just want to talk about how important it is that we guard ourselves against the spirit of deception that's in this world there are certainly people here and I'm not just talking about our elders but I believe there are people here tonight that never dreamed that you would live long enough to see some of the changes that are taking place in our in our nation this is not happening in another country and this is not uh, this is not a, a different place but right here and it's actually not on some far-reaching border of our nation Things are taking place right here at home, right where we are. And, uh, and uh, to see even the complexion of Bible belts, maybe what we would refer to as Bible belt communities that are seemingly losing their moorings. And so I pray that God would help us. If we look at the book of James chapter 1 and... Uh, in a few moments, we're going to begin at verse number 19, but James is really underlying and emphasizing 
in these scriptures the dangers of deception. And uh, I, I suppose there's many aspects of deception that we could consider tonight. But, but James seems to be focused on specifically the ability to deceive ourselves. And uh, so I, obviously we want to guard ourselves against outside influences that could work to deceive us. But how sad self-deception is. And so if a person sins because Satan deceives him, that's one thing. But if we deceive ourselves, that is a far more serious matter. I think that many people are deceiving themselves into thinking that they're just okay with God when in fact they are not. Amen. I, I'm not the deciding factor of that. And I don't want you to think that statement came from me, the judge and juror. But we, have, we can't deceive ourselves into feeling like everything is okay, all is well. The scripture references those who were in this place in their own lives, people who were dealing with this themselves. And so just because something hasn't been in our yesterdays doesn't mean it's not present in our todays, nor does it mean that it won't be present in our futures. When my mother passed away, my father moved in with us and, and lived with us for two years and uh, just a little bit over two years. And my wife, it was my wife's responsibility to uh, take him back and forth to his doctor visits. And so um, on one of those visits, the doctor decided that my father had high blood pressure. My dad came home from the doctor and he was some kind of sideways. And he named ever how old he was at that time. I am 70, whatever, maybe I suppose 75 years old. And he said, I've never had high blood pressure in my life. And I said, well, Dad, just because you've never had it before doesn't mean you don't have it now. And so we can't just assume because everything was okay yesterday. And I'm not trying to stir up a spirit of fear or uncertainty, but we just can't assume everything is okay Matthew 7 and 22, I'm going to jump to Matthew very quickly, but the scripture says, Jesus said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. Self-deception. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That's a very sobering passage of scripture, very sobering. But there are true believers who are, are fooling themselves concerning their walk with God because they think they're spiritual when they're not. And I will just say tonight that it's not enough to come into the presence of God and feel his presence and let that be the barometer that we are okay. We can feel the heat and the humidity when it, the heat index is 111. And we can also feel the cold when we step out into it and it is freezing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are those things. Amen. We can feel something on the outside, but something can be completely different than on the inside. I believe that it's a mark of maturity when, when people face their, themselves honestly and when they know themselves and when they admit their needs. Spiritual reality, I believe, results from the power of a proper relationship with God through his word, not just the spirit of God in the emotional aspect of God. We've got to have a proper relationship with God through his word. 
Amen. I hope that makes sense because we can't just come to church and feel good and think everything is all good. I've got to, I've got to be in, I've got to be in harmony and unity with his word because his word is truth. And so if we are rightly related to God's truth, then we can't be dishonest and we can't be hypocritical because his word is woven through our heart and our mind and his word is true. And so in James, in these verses, he states that, that we have three responsibilities toward the word of God. So if we fulfill these responsibilities, we're going to have an honest walk with God and we're going to have an honest walk with men. I think that's important that we understand the value of balance in the eyes of God and all in the framework of his scripture because it talks about having a good report within and without. And so it does matter what other people think of us. It matters what God thinks of us. It's not hard to convince people of that, but it certainly matters what other people think of us. And so I think one of those responsibilities begins by receiving the word. And we'll begin now in James 1 verse 19. Wherefore, he said, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Get that that is able to save you. And so James refers to, uh, these are not uh, coincidental phrases. James refers to the engrafted word. That's an interesting phrase because that means the implanted word. That word that David said, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I believe it was uh, yesterday I was listening to a, a radio broadcast and um, they, were, they were talking about someone that had uh, many years been in an underground church in a country that did not allow Christianity and things of that nature. And, uh, and so when they, they handed out a few Bibles, they had a few Bibles to pass out to those and, and uh, they were going to be reading from. She was no longer in that country. She was here but she had spent many years there, and she had spent many years there in prison. And um, so whenever it came time, she looked over and realized that somebody didn't have a Bible. And so she handed them their Bible, her Bible. And then as he began to read, he noticed that she was quoting along with him, but she wasn't holding the Bible. And so when the service was over, he had read quite a lengthy passage of Scripture and he was somewhat curious how that she had no idea of what his text was going to be. And he began to read many, many scriptures, but he could read her lips and watch as she quoted everything as he was reading his text. And so he was asking her about that. And she said, well, it was because of the years that I spent in prison. She said, from time to time, somebody would... We weren't allowed to have a Bible, but somebody would smuggle in a page or a couple of pages of the Bible. And uh, she said, but it wouldn't be long until they would find those and they would destroy those. And so she said, so we learn quickly that if you're going to have the word of God, the safest way to have it and the only way to ensure that you have it is to hide it in your heart. Amen. Oh, how different. What a different approach. My goodness, those things are humbling to me. That implanted word. David said that word. I want to not just memorize it in my head, but I've got to have it in my heart. 
And so borrowing from the parable of the sower, the Lord compares God's word to a seed and he compares the human heart to soil. And in his parable, Jesus described four kind of hearts or four kinds of soil. Soil. He talks about the hard heart. The hard heart didn't understand or receive the word and because of that it could bear no fruit. He talked about the shallow heart which was very emotional but had no depth and because they had no depth therefore they could also bear no fruit. Then he talked about the crowded heart that which lacked repentance and permitted sin and what another writer talks about the cares, or Jesus referred to rather, as the cares of life, the cares of this world, to crowd out and to choke out the word of God. And so we could just pause right here and we know what a hard heart is and we know what a shallow heart would be. But my goodness, aren't we in the battle of our lives in the very hour that we're living when it comes to this third aspect of the soil and the heart, the crowded heart. The crowded heart. So many things going on. Until if we're not careful, a crowded heart, a crowded mind will just crowd out the word of God. The cares of life. Jesus said the cares of life could choke. That was his words. Could choke the word. That same word of Genesis 1 that said let there be. I've always found that fascinating. That the power of that word that could speak life and death. The power of the word that could say arise. And yet that same word with that much power could be choked by the cares of life. Fourthly, he talked about the fruitful heart, that which received the word, allowed it to take root, and then produced a harvest of fruit. And I believe that the final test of salvation is just that. The real test of salvation is fruit. Not, not what we look like on Sunday, not what we sound like on Sunday or Wednesday, not, not how we respond, but what the fruit of our relationship with and is with God. And that fruit could bear itself on many, many different platforms. It could be winning souls or growing in holiness or, or sharing. It could be sharing the things that we have in this world or the things that we know in this world. I believe that fruit could reveal itself in spiritual character and good works. I believe that fruit could even reveal itself in the fact that we are a wellspring of praise unto the Lord, something that just can't be silenced. Not just for demonstration for the sake of being demonstrative, but there's just something that can't be quieted. It's an overflowing well. Real fruit, you'll always notice this about real fruit. It has a seed in it for more fruit. Amen. And so in that fruit, there is the ability, it possesses in its very heart often, the ability to reproduce itself. But the word of God can't work in our lives unless we receive it the right way. It's got to be received properly. Now Jesus said, I think it's interesting in Mark 24, or in Mark 4, 24, I think it's interesting that Jesus said, not only take heed what you hear, but in Luke 18, he also said, you need to take heed how you hear. Anybody ever heard anything wrong? <laughs> Amen. That's probably been the issue of debate in a few homes, hasn't it? Amen. You heard something wrong, and so it's not what you hear, but it's how you hear. I felt a spirit of conviction move in the house. Too many people are in this tragic condition that's described in Matthew 13 and 13 because he says this. And this is tragic. He said, in hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. They heard a noise. They heard some kind of mumbling and rumbling, but they didn't really get it. They didn't really hear. 
And I just want to say this, and I don't want this to be taken out of context or taken in the wrong spirit, but I want to tell you that I stand from the vantage point of this desk many, many weeks, week in and week out, and the word of God is going forth, and there are people that are hearing it, but they're not hearing it. Because if they heard what was being said, they wouldn't get up and walk that way. At the end of the service, they wouldn't even let me or whoever's preaching get through. They wouldn't let a sermon be finished because if they were really hearing the urgency of what the Spirit is speaking. And I'm not just talking about sinners, but I believe there would be saints making things right. I believe there would be saints making sure I've got to get my peace call and election sure. I've got to know that I know that I know. Amen. You can attend every service but never grow. And, 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 and Hebrews 5 and 11 even refers to people that are dull of hearing. Amen. Dull of hearing. I think it's perhaps possible that in almost every life, as you age, you get dull of hearing. Life just takes a toll on it, doesn't it? I know there's certain things that I can no longer hear. There's certain tones that I can no longer hear. And I'm not just talking about that. I didn't just rename her tone. <laughs> there are certain tones that I can't hear. I've lost the ability. I blame it for. I blame it on standing around monitors and speakers for uh, all these years. But uh, that that may be or may not be. It may just be age. Who knows? But dull of hearing that you cannot have the ability to hear certain sounds, certain things. And it could be a result of the decay of a spiritual life if we get spiritually dull of hearing. If the seed of the word is to be planted in our hearts, then we've got to obey the instructions that James set out for us in those few verses that I read. He said that we must be swift to hear. The Bible says, who hath ears to hear, Matthew 13 and 9. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's no commentary needed. If you got an ear, hear. So faith by, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 and 17. And so there's something powerful about the word of God going forth. And I realize that we are, as, as Pentecostals, that we are emotionally wound and that ear, there is a bent in us toward that and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm an emotional person myself. But I think that if we're not careful, we will connect everything to emotions and think if there's not enough demonstration in any one given service that nothing happened. But let me just clarify something, that when the word of God goes forth, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when, I know I've said it a lot in the last several services or so it seems, but when anybody is standing behind this desk and they're teaching, they're preaching, they're talking about the word of God, don't look around and judge the service by what you see with your eyes or what you hear with your ears and compare that against some other service or some other speaker. Understand this, that faith is coming. Faith is being secured. Faith is being uh, tamped into our spirit and our soul. I think there's a, a beautiful illustration of this, this swift to hear that is found in the book of 2 Samuel 23. David uh, is hiding from the Philistines who were in possession of Bethlehem at this time. And, and uh, David, uh, perhaps David was physically thirsty. Uh, maybe there's room for a little bit of debate here as to what uh, was really taking place in his mind. But uh, it, it could have been that David was just longing for a better day. 
are longing for another day. And in his mind, he was just speaking in a reflective manner or in a reflective tone. Nevertheless, it, it doesn't really matter. But while David was in hiding, the Bible says that he uttered, obviously he uttered out loud that he would love to have a drink of cool water from the well in Bethlehem. And many of you remember that story. And so David is just, he just said it. He just said maybe he just verbalized something that was on his mind. And again, maybe he was thirsty. But I believe if he was really thirsty, he would have been satisfied with water from any well. And so there may have been some reflective overtone. But oh, that I had a cool drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. This was a well that David had often visited in his youth. And so understand that David was not issuing a command, although he was a man in charge. He was not issuing a command. He did not order any of his men. He just simply said to himself, Oh, that one would give me a drink of water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And three of those men that overheard that statement. I don't know how many men were present close enough to hear, but three of those men heard him make this request and they risked their lives to secure that water and to bring it to him. Amen. The analogy is this. Those men were listening. I don't think that David got up and and, and hollered or bellered that. I think David was just speaking something that was on his mind, but they were swift to hear. I don't want the Lord to have to scream something at me. In order for me to hear it, I want to be able to get it. I want my ears to not be dull of hearing. I want to be able to sense what the Spirit of the Lord is wanting to do. Amen. I want to be swift to hear. And then he said to be slow to speak in the latter half of verse 19. We have two ears and one mouth. Many people have made that analogy. That ought to remind us that we ought to listen twice as much as we speak, right? But too many times we argue with the word of God. Maybe not audibly, but we argue in our heart or we argue in our mind. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, 19, he that refraineth his lips is wise. It takes a whole lot more strength and a whole lot more discipline to stand still than it does to jump in the mix of things. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and 27, he that hath knowledge spareth his words. You've heard me say this many times through the years. There's a lot of things that scare me, but one of those are people that always have a ready answer. Tell you what I'd do. I mean, they just found out about the crisis 30 seconds ago. And they already know exactly what you ought to do. But I've heard my cousin, Brother Danny Newbern, say more than one time, he said, everybody knows how to skin the cat, but the fellow that's holding it. <laughs> and that'll preach. I'll tell you that that will preach. Everybody knows how it ought to be done, but the fellow that's in the mix of it. And then in verse number 19, he also says that we ought to be slow to wrath. Solomon said in Proverbs 14 and 29, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exerciseth folly. Someone aptly said, aptly said that, that, that temper is such a valuable thing, it's a shame so many people quickly lose it. Because temper, temper is that thing that gives steel its strength. Don't lose your temper, you need that. Don't lose your temper, you need that. The person who can't 
cannot get angry at sin, doesn't have much strength to fight it. You, we've got to have something in our spirit, a righteous indignation. And James warns us against getting angry at his word, but that, that word that can reveal sin to us, that word that is a revealer of truth, we need that. Verse 21 talks about a prepared heart. James saw the human heart as a garden, and it left to itself, it would produce only weeds. And so he urged us to pull the weeds, so to speak, so that the soil could be prepared for that implanted word of God. And then James uses that phrase, the superfluity of naughtiness. That word superfluity means surplus. That's a condition that can't be controlled. It's foolish to think that God could, could do something in an unprepared heart. There's a method to the madness of the flow of our services. Now, I believe that God could do anything, anywhere, at any time. But I do believe that there is wisdom in that we come into the house of God and that we begin to praise Him and, and, and maybe even begin prayer before that, but then to praise Him and worship and magnify Him. It just sort of helps create a chasm between where we have come from, as, as Brother Newber mentioned a moment ago, and, and we walk into this house, we need to leave that there so that the Lord can do something and speak something into our heart and our spirit. Amen. So I want to be prepared to hear the word of God. I want to be the Lord to prepare the soil of my heart. And I believe that we can do that by beginning to ask the Lord to forgive us. Amen. I want to come into his presence and I want to be able to lift up holy hands and so I need the Lord to wash me and cleanse me and, and forgive me. And I want to meditate on God's love and his grace. And I want to ask the Lord to plow up any hardness of heart. I want to ask the Lord to just, just to whatever it may be, if there's something I feel in my heart, I want to be proactive to make sure that I don't allow that to take root. Jeremiah 4 and 3, Jeremiah said to break up the fallow ground and sow not among thorns. You've got to break up fallow ground. And finally, we got to have an attitude of meekness in James 1.21. And so when we receive the word of God with meekness, you accept it. We don't argue with it, but we just honor it as the word of God. If that's what the Lord said, then that's, that's what I'm going to do. And, and we've got to receive that word. And, and if we don't receive the implanted word, then we are deceiving ourselves. My second responsibility is that we have to practice the word of God. I can't just receive it. I can't just hear it. I've got to do something about it. I've got to practice the word of God. It's not enough to hear. We can't just hear, can't just hear the word. We've got to do the word. And so many people have the mistaken idea that just by hearing a good sermon or just by hearing a good Bible study, that that will be enough to help them to grow and get God's blessing upon their life. But it is not. I say this carefully because I'm the one holding the microphone tonight. But we, we are we're living in an age where we are very, very, very spoiled. We are very spoiled. We, and, and I'm talking about we're spoiled in the ways of church. I mean, we have some incredibly anointed and blessed ministers in our church. I mean, they don't fail. They just, they, they just feed us, and it's not just grits and gravy, and it's not just milk toast, and we hope we can endure this one. No, 
The Lord has blessed us. I'm not talking about me tonight. I'm talking about how God has blessed us. And, and we, we go to services and all kind of meetings and whatever the flavor may be, ladies' conference, men's conference, youth camps, whatever it may be, camp meeting, general conference, you go and, and it's the greatest of praise, the music and the worship and everything is just top tier and to go along with that is the word of God. Amen. And so we can think, well, this is so wonderful. This is so wonderful. This ought to be enough. But hear me this evening. It's not enough. You can hear the greatest message, the greatest Bible teaching, but it's not the hearing it's the doing that brings the blessing. We've got to do something with what God has brought our way. Amen. In this previous section, James compared the word to the seed, but in this section, he compares it to a mirror. A mirror. There are two other references in the scripture of God's word being a mirror. And so when you put all three together, you discover three ministries of the word of God being used as a mirror. I believe that number one is the ministry of examination. James 1 and 23. He said, For any one and twenty-three, for if any man be a hearer, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway, or right away, forgetteth what manner of man he was. The main that's the main purpose of owning a mirror is examination. <laughs> that's the truth that's the main purpose it's not to feed our ego the main purpose of a mirror is we want to walk past that one final time because we're fixing to we want to look at what the world's fixing to be exposed to and I've often thought as I stand in public places if people own mirrors did you see this did you examine this? Did you even briefly look before you walked out the door? Does this not matter? But when we, we want to make sure that we are clean and neat and we're presentable. And, and uh, obviously I, I'm in, in the public eye a lot and my wife is most of the time with me. And, and uh, before I'm walking to the pulpit, often I'm standing and I'm looking. I'm, I'm making sure I want to make sure I don't have some, you know, my pants pulled up halfway, my calf of my leg, or, or my pockets are wrong side out, my tie is straight. I'm looking at her. I'm just wanting just one final. Everything is okay. Everything is okay. And so when we look into the mirror of God's word, we see ourselves as we really are, as we really are. I was texting just a few moments before church. I had a, a little bit of business to take care of, and so I just texted a pastor friend of mine, asked him a, a question, just a real shallow question, but it was something that I needed to know. And uh, he just kind of surprised me at how straightforward his answer was. And I said, you really need to work on coming out of your shell. I'm having a hard time figuring out what you're saying. <laughs> so he said, well, let me put it another way. And he did put it another way. And I said, I got it now. The word of God, the word of God is that other way. There's no bones. This is who we really are. It's like the camera. It's like the video. It's like the recorder. And we look at ourselves and think, <laughs> whoa, really? And so as we look into the mirror of God's word, we see ourselves as we really are. James mentioned several mistakes that people make when they look into the God's mirror. First, they, they just glance at themselves. They don't carefully study themselves as they read the word of God. And secondly, he said, then they 
forthright. They soon forget what they see. But if we look deep enough into our heart, what we will see will be unforgettable. And we realize I've got to do something about that. Because if we use God's mirror profitably, then we, can, we must gaze into it carefully. We've got to look with serious intent. And that requires time. And that requires attention. Really and truly, it requires sincere devotion. It requires honesty. Just a few minutes with God each day is never going to complete a spiritual examination. And a few minutes with God every day, that's a wonderful habit. But that's not going to do it. Amen. A routine visit to the doctor. There's always going to be a few fundamental things that are covered. And everybody knows where we start, right? You start on the scales. And I've done everything within my power to bribe them. (laughs) But you start on the scales. You weigh in their blood pressure, the temperature, and and just these few fundamental things that they check. That's going to happen no matter what. But then there are times that we're called on annually perhaps to, to do some blood work or Maybe to, for some scans because they realize we got to take a deeper look into this. It's okay to come in from time to time. And let's just weigh you and let's check that blood pressure and let's check this and check that. Just these few, few rudimentary things. But there are times when we got to draw blood and we got to put it in different vials and we got to drill down and make sure everything is all right inside. Make sure it's all okay. That's an effort to take a deeper look. And so after seeing ourselves, then we got to remember what we are and what God says. Or in other words, we've got to do the word because the blessing comes in the doing. Not just in the reading or not just in the hearing. The blessing comes in the doing. The Bible says in James 1.25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. There's the operative phrase. And he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so what is what is it? We've got to look into that perfect law of liberty. We've got to continue in it. We've got... Can't be a forgetful hearer, but a doer. And so interestingly, James calls this the perfect law of liberty. Because when we obey the word of God, we are free and free indeed. Psalms 119.45 says, I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. Here's how I know I walk freely is because I'm seeking your way. I'm seeking your word to be the guardrail of my life. The apostle John said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make, make you free. Amen. By, but, but examination is just the first ministry of the mirror of the word of God. The second ministry of the mirror of God's word is restoration. When he built the temple, Moses took the, the looking glasses or uh, they were metal. It was actually made out of, of gold and silver. And, and uh, he took the looking glasses of the women and from them he made the labor. And the labor was a huge basin that stood between the brazen altar and the, and the holy place. And the, brazen, uh, the basin was filled with water. And the priests here, this is where they would wash their hands. And this is where they would wash their feet at the labor before they entered into the holies to minister. The water for the washing is a beautiful picture of the word of God and its cleansing power and ability. And the mirror of the word not only examines us, but it reveals our sins and it helps us cleanse. It doesn't just reveal, but there's something there. There's a cleansing agent. And so God's word is not just to condemn. God's word is not just to confront. 
Amen. The basin was made out of something that would reflect and reveal what was there, but the water said was here to say, and I can help you do something about that. I can wash those hands and I can wash those feet. And so I believe that when we come into the house of God and the word of God, and that word, even if we're in a formal service or if we're studying the word of God for ourselves, that word of God ought to reveal to us areas that we need to improve, but it also, if we will carefully examine it, it's offering us the ability to strengthen us to have the power to make that change in our lives. I've been changed by the blood and you can say the same thing. It's the blood of the Lord that cleanses the guilt but it's the water of the word that washes away the defilement. And so if we stop with examination and restoration then we're going to miss the full benefit of the, mirror, of, of the ministry of God's word because that final thing is transformation. Because after the Lord restores us he wants to change us so that we will grow in grace and not commit that sin anymore. So it's not enough just to say forgive, forgive, forgive. But at some point we need the Lord to deliver. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. But we all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of God. Are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Even as by the spirit of the Lord. We can be changed. And that's what God wants mm -hmm. to do. And the important thing is this. Is that we hide nothing. Amen. You can't, if we go back to the doctor's office, we got to be honest. How you feeling? Fine. Any pains? No. Everything all right? Sure. You got to be honest. You're standing in, in the presence of someone who gave, their, who gave their life to the study to help you. You need to be honest right there. I'm not talking about being a hypochondriac, but I'm talking about being honest. If we're dragging one leg, we need to be honest about that. If, if, if there's something wrong. And so David said in Psalms 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way, of everla in the way everlasting. In 1 John, 1 John 1 and 8, John says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Wow. Wow, that's a tight-fitting jacket, isn't it? If we say we have no sin, the, could I say it another way? If we say that, if you'll lie about that, you'll lie about something else. If we say we have no sin, he said we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And so our first responsibility is to receive the word. Our second responsibility is to practice the word. Otherwise, we are deceiving ourselves. And that leads us to the third responsibility. And that is to share the word. If any man among you seem to be religious, verse 26, and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God. And the father is this, to visit the fatherless, and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And so pure religion has nothing to do with ceremonies. Pure religion has nothing to do with temples. Pure religion has nothing to do with special days. Pure religion means that we are practicing the word of God, and we're sharing that word with somebody else. We do this through speech. We, what, how we say, what we do, how we act. We do this through service, and I believe that we do this through separation from the world. I believe there are many references to speech in, in the letter of James, given the impression that the tongue was a serious problem in this assembly because that's who James was writing to. 
He talked about the tongue a lot, didn't he? The tongue reveals the heart. And if the heart is right, the speech is right. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. And in service, in verse number 27, the first portion of this verse, it says, after we have seen ourselves in the mirror of the word, then we must see others and we must see their needs. Um, I, th I think this will be okay. I, I'm not sure our missionary that was here last week, I'm not sure where they are from originally. I know where they're missionaries too, but I'm not sure where they're from originally. And so he knew, of course, we just got... I think power of the afternoon that they actually came that night. And so the next day when we were talking, um, he said to me, he said, uh, well, when you live out in a place like this and a tragedy happens and he said, who comes to your aid? And uh, at first I missed that, I, and I said, um, I, I just asked him to say that again. I said, well, I'm not sure I'm following you. He said, well, you're, you're so far out. He said, when, when some, something tragic like this happens, he said, who comes to help you? I said, we help each other. He goes, yeah, that's right. He said, that's a southern thing, isn't it? I said, well, maybe it is, but it ought to be an everywhere thing. Amen. We help one another. <laughs> we need one another. It's the body. We come together. Amen. So when we see ourselves in the mirror, we need to see others, but we need to see their needs and not just observe their needs but the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, in the first few verses of this chapter, it says that Isaiah first saw the Lord. Follow me now. Then he saw himself. And then he saw the people to whom he would minister. So we first need to see the Lord, but then we need to see ourselves. But we can't stop looking right there. Then we need to see who all. Where is the field? Because words are no substitute for deeds. You can't say, the scripture talks about, you can't say to the cold, be warm. You can't say to the hungry, be filled. You can't say to the thirsty. You, we, you can't say that. You've got to do something about that. And so finally James mentions in chapter uh, 1, or in, in verse 27, excuse me, he talks about separation. Now, I don't think there's any debate about this, that Satan is the prince of this world. And as children of God, we are in the world physically, but we are not of the world spiritually because we have been sent into the world to win others. However, the only way we can win others is to maintain our separation from the world. Because if we're not different, they have no reason to change. If they can't see, feel, sense, and denote a difference... And so if we're not careful, we can become conformed to the world. And as a result of that, we will be condemned along with the world. And, and I'll ask you to stand. I want to I use an illustration in closing maybe to, to help underline this. Maybe there's several illustrations, but perhaps 
one that would be readily underlined in our heart would be a man by the name of Lot. The Bible says first of Lot that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. But if you just keep your finger on that chapter and book and keep moving forward, the next weeks we know he moved into Sodom. But if you just keep reading, you'll find out that Sodom moved into him. And that's a dangerous thing. And so we can say, well, that's Lot, and that's, the, you know, that's all in the Old Testament. That was then and there. But no, that same principle, wherever you pitch your tent toward, that's soon where you'll be. And when you get there, you won't be there long before there will be here. Amen. In the end, in the end, Lot lost the t- his testimony. I don't think he just lost his testimony to the townspeople, but Lot lost his testimony to his own family. When judgment fell on Sodom, Lot lost everything. And think about this. It was Abraham. It was that separated one, that friend of God that had a greater ministry to the people than Lot. Because Lot went there and Abraham stayed away. I believe that we have a greater influence, the best way to minister to the needs of the world. And the greater influence, the greater way to have an influence is to keep ourselves free from the defilement of this world. Amen. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to look into the word of God. I want the word of God to look into me. David said it this way. Enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Oh, my, my, my. Amen. I pray, Lord, help us that we guard ourselves against the spirit of deception that is rampant in this world. Rampant in this world. Amen. If you don't think the spirit of deception is rampant, the next time you go to a doctor's office or anywhere when they hand you that form to fill out, it doesn't look like forms we used to fill out. Because there is a broad spirit of deception. A broad spirit of deception that's running in our world. Amen. We need to open our eyes. And we can think, well, it won't happen at my house. Mm -mm. Don't ever say that. Don't ever think that. Amen. Help us, Lord. Let's magnify him together, shall we? Let's pray and ask the word of the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.